Well, as I've shared with you, I'm excited about the outreach emphasis we have here at Maplewood. And it didn't come from me. I just hope I can fan the flame. Uh, I mean, we've had all different outreaches going on. We've come through a season of Time for Tots, and we went to Kent State, and we have our our scouts and volleyball, and we have VBS and the Randolph Fair and the Balloon Affair coming up and Fall Fest, just to name a few. Uh, what we've been doing in the last number of weeks is trying to equip us to reach out in life. And we have, as you have on the top of your outline, there's that little circle that says prayer, care, and share. And we've been talking about different reasons why we believe that the, a complete biblical approach to outreach, to reaching people for Christ, is prayer, pray for them, care, care for them, and show them the love of Jesus, and share, share the message about Jesus. We need all three. It's very important. Uh, as I said, I think I've said, you know, when you, you'll hear the statement, um, always share Jesus with others. If necessary, use words. That's not true. The message about Jesus, the gospel, is, a, is news. It can't be shared with anything but words. We show the love of Christ as we share it, yes, but there's no substitute. And today we're going to look at how the message about Jesus gains power in people's lives. How is preaching about a Galilean carpenter 2,000 years ago who died on a cross the answer to the world? When you think about it, people could look at us funny. But we have the authority of the Holy Spirit bearing witness that Jesus indeed is God in flesh who died for the sins of the world. And we need the power of the Spirit. A few months ago, or about a month ago, I shared the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, we saw Jesus say something. The Great Commission is in Matthew 28. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go... Okay, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And this last phrase, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now I talked a lot about this last phrase, and I first of all said surely doesn't really translate that too well because it's, it's actually not an adverb, it's a command, it's a verb. It's go, look, uh, behold, look. So what Jesus is saying is, and look. And it's very emphatic. We compare it to a kid that says, Mommy, watch, Daddy, watch. Look, 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 look. Watch me, watch me, watch me. And Jesus is saying, look, look, look. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. When we are in the process of going to the nations, making disciples, reaching people for Christ, and building them up in Christ, Jesus says, look, in case you're discouraged with the task and the size of the task and the impossibility of the task, look, I'm with you always. I'm empowering you. Today we want to look a little bit more at how Jesus will be with us and empower us as we seek to obey the Great Commission. So with that in mind, Join me in John chapter 16, actually starting at the last two verses of chapter 15, and we're going to see fleshed out a little. How is Jesus with us? He made it so emphatic. He said, don't miss this, guys. You're not doing this alone. You're not doing it on your own. You're doing it with me and with my power. And he's going to tell us a little more in the Gospel of John how that happens. Chapter 15, verse 26 of John. When the Counselor, who is the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, do you see that and how awesome that is? He's saying that the Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus, and then it is our responsibility in turn to testify about Jesus. 
but it's not something we do on our own. And notice also that Jesus then goes on to explain a little bit more about how we do this. He says, verse 1, All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue, meaning religious leaders, because to witness for Jesus in that time was to be put out of the synagogue, which was like losing your life and your heritage at that time. That's a big deal. We don't understand. They threw you out of the church, go find one of 20 others. Listen, you got thrown out of the synagogue here, and you were done. You were an outcast. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. The Apostle Paul thought he was offering a service to God when he went and was imprisoning and killing Christians, right? Before he found Christ. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now, I want you to notice two things that formulate the... um, the outline on the top. The first statement is Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit to help us testify and keep us faithful when the world is hostile. Look at, the Holy Spirit helps us testify. He will testify about Jesus, he says, and then he says, and then you will in turn testify. So the Spirit is here to give us the message, to give us the words, to empower us to share the words. The early church suffered from lockjaw until the Spirit came and opened it up. The early church was in the upper room before they hit the streets of Jerusalem, and they hit the streets of Jerusalem because the Spirit came, opened their mouths, and then all of a sudden they're out on the streets. So this is, this is what we need. But also notice he says at the beginning, you're going to have a hard time. People are going to give you so much trouble, you're going to face heartache. And notice, I've told you all this, 16.1, so that you will not go astray. The Holy Spirit, by walking in the power, by walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you will not go astray. Now let me ask you a question. Let me address the way we suburban, semi-rural, even urban Americans have done church. How many of you know a bunch of people who've gone astray that were once preaching with you, were once sitting next to you in church? I have known so many people through so many stages of life who were once partners in ministry, preaching on the streets, sharing with their families, crying out in prayer to God in seminary and Bible school who are now no longer serving Jesus. Why? Well, first of all, Jesus did say that, you know, the fruit that comes and bears, that the people that are saved and bear fruit are not a majority, first of all. We know that. But when you look at the lives of some people that we've seen who fall away, you say, that doesn't make any sense. You can't tell me this person had so much going for them, they were doing so much for the Lord. Here's the problem. We're not walking and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on. We're, we're, we're first of all, caught up in head knowledge. Where I come from, it's how much you know. It's about knowing the Bible. It's about having theology. It's about all the stuff you know. And the second thing is it's about trying to live it on your own strength and by your own power. It's being self-reliant. And we, it's very American. We know more, and we've got the self-will. We've got the John Wayne in us, right? There's a book called Jesus and John Wayne addressing this. We think we're the, we're, we think we're the ones that are going to go out there and take over. And, and quite honestly, it doesn't work. And quite honestly, people fall away because they say it doesn't work. And then they face hardship, and it doesn't work because as Americans, Jesus is supposed to fix all our problems too, right? Yeah, that, <laughs> and, and he, do, he never promised that, and it's not, not the way it is. 
In fact, coming to Jesus sometimes brings a whole new set of problems we never even imagined, right? It does. I wouldn't say amen too enthusiastically to that, but it does. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, it's true. And so, um, we, then, then people face opposition from people they love and care about or people they want to impress, people they want to think highly of them, and you're a Christian, you're, you're, you know, you're an idiot for believing that, and so they start to fall away. Why? Because they're facing opposition and ridicule and from people they, they want to impress. But we need to do it right. We need to not walk in the power of ourselves and the power of our brains and the power of our creativity and in the power of our talents and in the power of our knowledge. We need to walk in the power of the Spirit. That's how we persevere. It won't win us approval from the world necessarily. It won't take us to the heights of society. Sometimes God raises us up to be in places, but a lot of times it means we realize we're not going to get the approval of those who are watching. We're not going to keep up with the Joneses or even the Smiths. But that's not what we're about. So, um, so, so let's talk about this. First of all, I want to mention something, and I want, this is something that really, really made a difference for me when I, re- when I realized it, and it's rarely talked about. Jesus lived by the Spirit. When Jesus was on earth, he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Jesus was God. Well, he was God, but he was also man, so there was a spatial, physical limitation. So therefore, he, he was not able to exercise his divinity fully. Why? He was still fully God if he needed to be, but he had, he had limitations. He could be in one place at a time. You cannot have a human being who is omnipresent. Right? That's not how God set up the universe. So when Jesus couldn't be everywhere at once when he was in a human body, that's how God, he, he, was, he was doing, that. that's just the way he created it. It's not a mark of, his, of weakness. But Jesus, when he was on earth, therefore, experience human limitations and live by the power of the Spirit. Look at the list I gave you on your outline. And that's an off-the-cuff off the cuff list of all the ways that Jesus relied upon and lived in the Spirit when he was on earth. That is not a carefully studied, I took days and days to research and, and dig and read books. That's just like, come up with the most obvious things I can find about Jesus and how he lived in the Spirit. Now, why am I, why am I making a big point of this? Well, look at all that. It, it means Jesus is our model for how God wants to live in humble, reliant trust and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can reasonably expect to persevere, to have an effective witness, and to be like Jesus to the degree that we draw from the same divine power which Jesus relied upon, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And to the extent that we do not draw upon and live in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, we can expect we will not have an effective witness, we will not become like Jesus, and we may very well fall away when we see it doesn't work, we're not getting ahead in the world, we're not, this isn't fun! And then as soon as Jesus came back from the dead, he was reunited with his followers that morning, and he breathed on them and said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus immediately passed on to them, well, however you feel about that statement in John and what that actually represented, I know I could, we could debate that, but he was saying, this is how you live the Christian life. Just like I have, now I'm author- giving you the power that I have lived by. And the mission of Jesus is not over. It's passed to another phase. Now, we are the body. You know, Jesus lived in a human body. Well, he left the human body on earth. And he passed his spirit to our body, us the body. And we live by the spirit of God through this body of Christ. We are his body. We are his members. The mission goes on in the same power that Jesus lived. Should we be living lives that transcend some of our humanness? 
Yes, why? Because we have that torch that Jesus gave us. Now here in John, he's talking about it coming in the future. He says something that is mind-boggling that I want you to look at. He says that this is better than having Jesus with us in person. Look at verse 5. Now I'm going to him who sent me. He's going back to the Father. None of you ask me, where are you going? The point being, none of you really want to know. None of you are really trying to get what's going on here. Rather, you are filled with grief because I said these things. By the way, imagine giving your life to Jesus and following him, and then he says he's going away. I'd be... I'd be falling apart like these guys were, so I don't speak judgmentally when I say they didn't really want to know. They didn't want to know. They didn't want him to go. And I wouldn't either. Okay? <laughs> Truly, I say, tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That is really... Strange speech. Because Jesus is leaving them. Remarkable. And he's, it seems like his disciples are undergoing a total disaster. The end of everything to which they devoted their entire lives for a couple of years. But actually, it's not a negative thing at all. It's not a loss, it's a gain. Because if you remember John chapter 7, on the last and greatest day of the feast, the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus had to leave. He had to go to the cross to provide payment for sin. He had to rise from the dead to defeat death. He had to be risen and glorified back to the right hand of the Father so he could send the Holy Spirit. And that's when the church got launched. Not when Jesus was with the disciples, but when Jesus sent the Spirit to launch them, to empower them. How many times have we thought, if only I could have been there? Have you thought that? Yes, you have. Don't lie. We've all thought that. And I'm sure there's a benefit to if we could have that experience. But... We say, if only I'd been there. If only I'd been there in the, in the desert with the Israelites when God moved and the Shekinah glory was with them. I'd be more faithful. I'd be more, I would trust God more. I would live more fa- Is that what happened to the people who were there? No. So we know that's not true. It really is better to be, have Jesus ascend back to heaven and we have the Holy Spirit. It was a gift to him. It was his way of saying, I love you so much, I'm going to do the best thing for you. <clears throat> I mean, think about if Jesus were still incarnate. Okay? Oh, I, I need to talk to Jesus. And, okay, call the hotline. Call the, well, call, and we, good morning, welcome to the Jesus hotline. Yes, I, 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 I am desperate. I really need to speak to Jesus. Okay. He will be with you as soon as possible. In the meantime, enjoy the latest selection of Christian music from Elevation Worship as we put you on hold. Um, ma'am, before I go on hold, how many people are before me? I need to talk to Jesus now! Well, sir, there are 6,329,432 people before you. You called on a good day. We're very slow today. That's the shortest line we've had in weeks. Aren't you glad Jesus is wiser than we are, wiser than the disciples who are saying, Don't go, please, don't go. It'll kill us. They'll kill us. Our grief will kill us. We won't know what to do. And you'd be there too, because I sure would. (laughs) Hmm. 
All right. Let's look at two ways it's better for Jesus to go. One is verses 8 through 11, that the Spirit empowers our witness to the world. The second is verses 12 forward, the Spirit guides the church into all truth. I'll talk about the first part. Eric will talk about the second part. The Spirit empowers our witness to the world by convicting the world in regard to three things, the truth about sin, the truth about righteousness, the truth about judgment. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to dwell on these a long time, although I could dwell on them for days. <laughs> so it's very hard for me to do this. But there are some things that cannot be understood apart from the convicting of the Holy Spirit. No amount of human wisdom, no amount of human reason, no amount of human eloquence or manipulative forces or no nothing can force a person to understand the gospel. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and laid the gospel out and at the end you see that it's made no impact whatsoever? And they've been asking the questions and you've been asking the questions. And at the end they say, so what you're saying is that I need to go to church more, right? And you're like, no! We've been talking for two hours. You've asked every question there is. I've talked about Jesus from a hundred different angles and salvation. And you say that the conclusion is that you need to go to church more. Have you been there? Or something like that. Tell me, have you been there? Okay. I've been there and I've been like, you know, and you want to go home and, and, and blow yourself up. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. The truth about sin, first of all, in verse 9. I mean, Jesus says in verse 8 um, that he, the counselor will come. He will convict the world of sin in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, first of all. Here's the sin. Men don't believe in Jesus. He's not saying that he will convict the world of specific sins, although the Holy Spirit certainly does that. He will convict the world that they need Jesus, that they are guilty of sin, and there is no other way to be set free. Sin because people do not believe in me. That's the definition of sin. Now, try that one out for size at the workplace. Do you know it's a sin to not believe in Jesus? In fact, it's the only real, ultimate, final, unforgivable sin. How's that going to go over? Because he's the only one who provided payment for sin. You've surely seen this bumper sticker, the coexist. Bumper sticker, the coexist sign that we have on the screen. <laughs> because the world's mindset is much more like coexist. Ah, there you go. Have you seen this? Okay, it's, it's very popular. It started in England. And the, the idea of this is that all religions are the same. They all teach the same thing. And we all have our own way to God. Now, understand something. When it comes to understanding other people, learning and listening from other people, loving them, caring about them, walking with them, I agree with what they're saying. Nobody wants to persecute anybody. No one wants to marginalize anybody because of what they believe. But if you're going to say that there's equal truth in all religions, that's ridiculous. And it's ridiculous because if you ask the people from the other religions, they wouldn't say that. You can't possibly. You know, it's Islam. There's no agreement on what every symbol is either. There's several different... In fact, I was shocked to find out that in this coexist, which tells us all religions are the same, stop fighting for dogma, that there are actually lawsuits going on. There's a lot of litigation because when it's changed, the person who created the other one is suing the other one for the right to have the right coexist sign. It's like, oh man. It just shows what Jesus is saying. We can't do this on our own. We need him. But you know, to say this is, this is yin and yang, it's, it's like Confucianism and... and uh, I forgot what the other, the name of Shintoism, and this, of course, is a cross, 
And this is actually a pentagram on top of the eye. It's, it's meant to be Wiccan, Star of David. This is a Hindu symbol of some type, although it looks gender-based, so I'm not sure. And, and I think the peace sign is, is secular peace, you know, create a secular world, imagine there's no heaven type of thing. The only problem, of course, is that, it's, again, there are different versions of it. Jesus says, convict a world of sin that they don't believe in me. You don't have another option of someone. And the reason is he says the second thing, he will convict the world regarding righteousness. In verse 10, convict the world about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. How do we get right with God? That's the question of righteousness. Average person thinks, of course, that it's by being good, by doing good. But right standing with God, we know, only comes through Jesus' work for us. It is finished, he said. If you... This week we lost, uh, the church on earth lost Tim Keller. How many of you are familiar with Tim Keller? What a, he taught me so much, I'm telling you. And probably one of the key lessons he taught me that just totally opened up the gospel to me in a fresh new way was... I'm sorry, Eric, I keep going. <clears throat> he, he was talking about how every religion, every self-help has some type of repentance for sin. I want to get better. That, you know, think about it. Maybe some people deny sin. That's a, way to, that's a way to deal with sin, right? Say it doesn't exist. But um, in Christianity, we, the difference is this. We don't first and at the core repent of our sin, except the sin of not believing in Jesus. But we first of all, before we repent of our sins, we repent of our righteousness. What's he talking about? What does that mean? It means this. Anything that I think gives me standing with God that I can produce on my own, do in my own strength and in my own righteousness, I repent of. I think God's pleased with me because of what I bring to the table. I repent of it. The first thing to coming to Jesus is to realize that the Holy Spirit will convict people of righteousness to say, you have no righteousness. You don't have anything to bring. You can't say, I'll be good. I'll be better. No, you can't. And it won't matter anyway when it comes to the fact that you need God's righteousness. I mean, take a look at the verses that are quoted on your outline. From Hebrews. After he had provided purification for sins, Jesus, there's the sin issue, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He sat down, he ascended to heaven, sat down, it is finished. Work done. Chapter 10. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. He sat down because it's done. And we are made right with God because of what Jesus did. And that last statement in the Hebrews, since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, that's the truth about judgment, which we don't have time to go into. But start talking about God's judgment in the workplace and what will happen. The world needs to be convicted that there's only one way to be forgiven of sin. It's Jesus that there's only one way to stand right with God, and that's Jesus and the work he did when he sat down at the right hand of God, and that he is the judge. It says in John 20, chapter 5, the Father's committed all judgment to the Son. We're going to stand before Jesus, and we have no one else we've got to worry about answering to, no one else we have to worry about pleasing. And it takes the Holy Spirit working in someone's heart to make them believe that. No one's going to buy that, Right? by human reason, by creativity, by beauty, by whatever it is we try to do, in the end, we have to witness in the power of the Holy Spirit in order for people to come to Christ. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. 
Let that sink in for just a second. I have much more to say to you. Think about everything that Bob just covered. And then he says, there's way more. <laughs> there's way more. I'm going to stop there, though. Mm. Even more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Perfect picture of the Trinity, right? For those people that want to leave the Holy Spirit off the Trinity, this passage has something to say to you. Because the Father's going to hand everything off to Jesus, and if the Spirit's not there, what's Jesus doing? He's just tossing it all on the ground, right? But the Spirit is there, and so the Father hands things off to Jesus, and Jesus hands things off to the Spirit. And then the Spirit is going to guide the church into all truth. The question is, how? Now we take this, and we, we're not just going to make this applicable. We're going to make it personal this morning. Okay, everybody on the same page? Everybody good with that? Not just applicable. Applicable is not good enough. It's got to be personal. Okay, so here's where we start. As I thought about this, I, thought, I, I came to the Lord and I said, okay, Lord, how? How is the Spirit going to guide us? If I can get this cord to cooperate with me. How is the Spirit going to guide us into all truth? And I hear the Lord say, like a lamp. Like a lamp. That sound familiar to anybody? Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a guide. Light unto my path. That's how he's going to guide us. And, and, and then I realized that a common symbol in Scripture of the Holy Spirit is what? Fire. Light. And inside of that lamp, there's a flame, right? Inside of us as Christians burning for Christ, there's a flame, right? How's he going to guide us? Like a lamp is what he's showing me. And so I come into his word, and I say, all right, let's take that a little bit further. You're going you're gonna to guide us like a lamp. You're going to light our path. And so I come back to the Gospel of John, and I kind of stumbled on this. I used the word kind of because I knew it was there. But frankly, I just picked up in the wrong chapter and said, that works. <laughs> So in John chapter 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, and we come down to verse 25. He says this, All this I have spoken while I'm still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't get anxious. Lean into the power of the Spirit. Trust Him to guide you. This passage shows me that He's not only going to help us, not only going to advocate for us, but that he's our resident teacher. He's going to teach us the things that we need to know in the moment we need to know them. And he's going to remind us of the things that we need to be reminded of in the moment we need to be reminded of them. Like that terrible witnessing moment that we've all had. I can, I can personally tell you, my terrible witnessing moment happened when I was witnessing out of my head knowledge. It went terribly. It was ineffective. 
But the minute that I come unto the Lord and I say, all right, I want to be an effective witness. I want to be a powerful witness for your kingdom. And I allow him to light that spark. And it's just like the, the brain shuts off and the spirit turns on and you just have everything that that person needs to know right then and right there. And they say, yes, I get it. Yes, that's speaking to me. I don't know what it is that you're saying, but man, that's where it's at. Right? And I'm seeing heads going up and down. That must mean y'all know what I'm talking about. That's where it's at. The Holy Spirit gives you what you need to know, what you need to say. That's the picture-perfect definition of an advocate, right? What an advocate. How else, Lord? How else does, does the Spirit guide His church into all truth? Go to the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to look for one way that the Spirit's going to guide me, I have to say the will of God for any of us is that we would come deeper in our relationship with him, right? I would say that the will of God for any of us is that we would be stronger in our faith. And now we know that the Spirit is interceding for us in accordance with God's will in such a way that we wouldn't even be able to understand. Groanings too deep for words. That, that almost gives you an image of pain. Think, think about a time maybe that you've groaned. It's usually, it's, it's almost always pain-related to groan. Sometimes it's not so much pain, but, you know, if you stretch and everything pops, you ah because it felt good. But I, I think about, um, I, I deal with a lot of shoulder pain, and sometimes whenever I pick my arm up, I, oh, I groan a little bit. And, and to think that the Spirit would, would intercede for us with groaning. Gives you a little bit of insight. To why that, why that man named Jesus was crucified for us. A little bit of what he felt. We stay, in, we stay in sin. We stay in that, whoops, righteousness. And crucify him over and over. And the Spirit intercedes for us to pull us out of that. To get us back on course. With groanings too deep for words. How else, Lord? How else is the Spirit going to guide us into all truth? By empowering us, right? Probably all of us in the, in the room this morning know that old hymn. We've got the power in the name of Jesus. Yes? You ever believe it? Or did you just sing it? I don't know about you. I believe it. I believe it. I do believe we have power in the name of Jesus. I believe there's power in the name of Jesus for every circumstance. So I come to Acts. Chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power. I added the emphasis on will, just so that you didn't think I said you might. 
because that's not the word used there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, Eric, well, we don't live anywhere near Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We're in America. All right, well, translate it. How about this? I, I, I think that if the Lord was going to speak this passage to us right now, he would probably say something that sounded like this. You will be my witnesses locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. How about that? Here, there, there too, and everywhere. But it starts here. It starts here. It starts in this room when we come together week after week to receive power. We come here week after week, Sunday after Sunday, hoping to meet God right here. We come to the altar, we pray, we lift our hands in worship, we lift our voices in worship. Why? To glorify the Spirit, to glorify our King, the giver of this power. So the Spirit guides His church into all truth by helping us, teaching us, reminding us, interceding for us, and empowering us. That sounds all right. That sounds all right. It sounds like something that I'm okay with, right? Now, I said this was going to get personal, and that's now. So the question goes from how to what now? What now? If you're anything, if you're even a hair like me, you probably feel a little empowered right now. Just a hair. Bob, when you were talking about head knowledge, and oh, I was ready to jump out of that chair and run around this sanctuary. <laughs> I'm, I'm being for real. Hallelujah. That's the problem in Christianity today is we get so lost in head knowledge. We get lost in theology that we forget about the relationship. We forget about the power. We forget about the Holy Spirit. So what now? If you're feeling empowered and your question is what now, this is what. What to do? What to do with all of this? Number one, submit to it. Be submissive to the Spirit so that He can help you, so that He can advocate for you. Be submissive to the Spirit so that He can teach you. Be submissive to the Spirit so he can remind you. Be submissive to the Spirit and receive his intercession. Be submissive to the Spirit and receive his empowerment. Then what? Do something about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Beginning in verse 9, it says this, However, as it is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, 
so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Hear that again. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, not out of head knowledge, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are dis- excuse me, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Amen. Focus in for just a second on verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. I don't know about you, this jostles my brain a little bit and says, freely given us. That means that I can freely receive, right? What should I do with that which I receive then? Freely give. So let the Holy Spirit empower you. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. Let the Spirit guide us into all truth. And let it start right here this morning. Jeff, if you could hear a little closing music. So I want to invite you this morning to make this personal and to make it real. You have an option every single day to receive from the Spirit and to stuff it in your pockets and go around the world like this. Yes, I love Jesus. Oh, yeah, I'm Christian. Or you can let it fall on you with open hands. What's that empower you to do? If the Spirit of God falls on me with open hands, then I can come to another one and say, this is what the Lord shared with me. And guess what? Now instead of two hands that are empowered, there's four. And then if Bob comes along with me and says, now look, this is what the Spirit has shared with me. Now there's not just four hands empowered. How about that? There's eight. And now four more of us go. Do you see the multiplication effect? And that's the power of the Holy Ghost. But you got to get your hands out of your pockets. You got to be ready when the Spirit says, it's go time. Right? So this morning, if you want a fresh infilling of the Spirit, a fresh indwelling, if you want the Spirit to pour out brand new over you, this is the place to come meet Him. There's no better time than right now. Because the minute you walk through those glass doors in the back, 
the Lord could have someone standing at the corner of our parking lot. Someone that 60-some people have the opportunity to witness to. How many will stop and roll down their window? Just being serious. The moment those doors open, you're on the battlegrounds. The moment those doors open, the hands are either out or in the pockets. So that's your invitation this morning. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have a prayer request, if you want to receive Jesus Christ for the first time, if you just generally need prayer for one thing or another, I want you to come and meet over here. If you're looking for that fresh outpour, I want you to be over here. That way we know how to pray. Altar's open. Come and find him here. Lord Jesus, right now, we thank you, God, for all that you do for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you sent us an advocate and a spirit. Lord, that we can freely receive from you. And that we can turn around and freely give. Father, equip us right now in the name of Jesus. Every person in this room, equip us, Lord God. To go and do what you've called us to do. Pour out your spirit, Lord God, upon all flesh the way that you said you're going to. Let it begin here. Let it begin right now inside of Maplewood Christian Church. A people ready to receive. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the word that you've laid on our hearts to share. And now, Lord, I pray that as we worship in closing of our service, that you be glorified. In the name of Jesus. Father, now, let your power flow through us. Let your power flow through us, Lord God. That we would be your children, walking in obedience day by day and moment by moment. I praise you in Jesus' name.